Hey folks, for months I've been really proud to partner with a couple of members of the Computer Science for All team housed in New York City Department of Education. For those who don't know, Computer Science for All is looking to bring computer science over 10 years to every public school in New York. The District of New York City is 1.1 million students. It's a big job. Within that effort, there is a huge collaboration to better understand what it means when we talk about equity in the context of computer science. So I have an opportunity for you, for those who have been listening over the last six months or so, you enjoyed episodes like those we had with Dr. Chris Emden um, and others to talk about this topic. On January 25th, if you are in or around New York City, if you are a new educator, if you are a veteran educator, if you're teaching computer science or you're uh, teaching another subject and really focused on integrating computer science into what you do, this conversation is going to be a treat. It's titled Why Computer Science Matters in Communities of Color. It's in partnership with New York City Men Teach and is being held at Columbia's Cowan Auditorium. Saturday, the 25th, from 9 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. All teachers and their students are invited to attend. This is the second equity event of the year designed to provide new and existing CS teachers with opportunities to network and build community, participate in fun, hands-on workshops, learn about CS heroes, and receive great resources. YCS Matters has some amazing special guests, including Justin Schaefer, Peter Gay Clark from Google, Ara the Star Engineer, uh, author Kamal Singe, Marvel's Dara Sanderson, and a special performance by Friends of No Such Thing Code Society. I hope you'll come out one more time. It's January 25th from 9 to 1.30 p.m. I hope you can make it to Why Computer Science Matters in Communities of Color. Facebook.com slash No Such Thing Podcast. You can also go to CS, the number four, all.nyc, and you'll find links to the registration page and everything you need. Again, it's why CS matters in communities of color. We hope to see you there on January 25th of 2020. Yeah, my name is Travis Thull. I'm an educator, uh, entrepreneur, engineer, and veteran. We have a fun one today, y'all. We're talking bicycles. Travis Thull is the founder of Bicycle Design and Fabrication, a two-year program at Minnesota State College Southeast. He was previously Engineering Technology Program Coordinator at the Community College of Baltimore County in Cattonville, Maryland. He didn't stop there. He went on to become an electronics engineer at the Federal Communications Commission in Washington, D.C., in charge of research on wireless power transfer. He's also a Coast Guard veteran where he serves as lieutenant commander in the reserves. In 2017, he was honored as a rising star under 40 for the Seven Rivers region of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa. His awards are crazy. From their website, the design and fabrication of bicycles and their components is both engineering and art. The Bicycle Design and Fab program in Red Wing, Minnesota is an Associate of Applied Science degree at Minnesota State College, Southeast. In this program, students explore a hands-on mechanical engineering technology design curriculum revolving around the fabrication of bicycles and associated components. I don't need to do much introduction to this conversation. What I want to say about it is that I'm so excited to talk about two-year programs that when the world is talking about the future of manufacturing and how we bring jobs and the kind of intersection of craft and skill to young people who are coming into the workforce, this is a program that is my maybe one of my best exemplars yet for this audience. 
I can't wait for you to hear more about the program. I'm going to let Travis take it away. Quickly before we get going, my thanks, Arnaud Tra, for the copyleft contribution to the Internet Archive, those beautiful bicycle bells at the top of this show. Uh, Well done, and thank you. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about learning in the digital age. I'm Mark Lesser. Travis, thanks so much for joining. I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation. Yeah, me too. Thank you very much for having me. So tell me about Red Wing, Minnesota. I know I'll, I'll tell you, uh, here's what I know. I have a pair of Red Wing boots. Um, I know it's in Minnesota. Beyond that, I have no context for this, um, my recent, recently finding this program that you've helped to, to build there. Um, and I always like to start with the, the context where learning is happening. Um, what does Red Wing look like? Yeah, so, so Red Wing is a, a, a real beautiful, uh, medium-sized town uh, right on the Mississippi River, right in the, the, the Cooley region of the upper uh, Mississippi River Valley. So uh, uh, let me paint you a picture of uh, uh, rolling hills that, that descend 500 feet down to a river valley, a community that's you know built over the last 150 years of approximately 15,000 people, uh, uh, beautiful uh, uh, tree-filled streets. Uh, a community that's dedicated to the outdoors, manufacturing and industry, and a, a community that's wedged right in the center of America's uh, manufacturing and engineering heartland, uh, where we're located uh, in the United States, leads the United States in engineering manufacturing jobs per capita. So you, you can really get a sense for how that impacts the culture of the community, as well as the, uh, the uh, employment opportunities in the region. It's pretty incredible. So, so, um, and I want to get to some of that in terms of uh, how that impacts culture and what it means for building a program. Um, one of the things I've been, uh, I, I, I don't want to miss the opportunity to do is just talk about these students, right? So we're, um, we have the program that we're going to talk about is happening at Minnesota State. Southeastern campus. Did I have that right? Yeah. So the, the name of the college is Minnesota State College Southeast. We have two campuses, one in Minnesota, uh, Winona, Minnesota, and one campus in Red Wing, Minnesota. Yeah. So the bicycle design and fabrication degree is at uh, our Red Wing campus. Terrific. So these, who who are our students that this program serving? Yeah. So uh, this this program is still a very, it still has that new car smell, if you will. <laughs> Uh, the, the first cohort uh, started full-time laboratory classes uh, just this last August, so two months ago. Uh, and when we put it together, we didn't know what the student makeup would look like. We knew it would be different, but you don't know until you get there. Uh, when we started seeing applicants and prospects uh, start coming in uh, last winter and over the summer, we had prospects uh, from uh, Colombia, Hong Kong, Singapore, Jamaica, uh, just to give you an idea of, of the breadth of uh, distance that, that folks are looking to enroll, uh, now that we have the, the first cohort completely in, we've got that, that geographic uh, diversity. But we also have a really interesting makeup. We've got uh, about a third of the students are your traditional 18, 19-year-old kids right out of high school. We've got uh, about a third that are you know in their 20s uh, uh, looking to, to get themselves skills for the modern economy. And then we've got a fair amount that are uh, either retired or industry professionals hmm. looking to come back to pursue a, a passion that they may not have had an opportunity to pursue uh, in their last careers. So it's it's really just this wonderful makeup of students uh, that that uh, lends itself to not only the faculty teaching the students, but the students teaching each other based upon their breadth of diversity. Tell me a little bit about um, – I'm a – you know a, uh, I like some of the structure that, uh, comics, comic books give us for a narrative. So, so tell me the origin story, yeah, um, of course. F- for this program that, uh, I want to get into some detail around, but, but I feel like there's always, I'm, I'm curious, did this, was this out of thin air? Did it cultivate, uh, from another program that existed? How, how did this happen? Well, one of my favorite sayings is necessity is the mother of all creation, sure. right? 
nothing, nothing forms out of the ether. At least I haven't figured out a way to make that happen yet. Uh, And where we're located, right on the periphery of rural Minnesota and at the periphery of, you know, the great um, uh, technically advanced uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul uh, uh, metropolitan region, Education is in flux, and I, and I think not only where we're at, but nationwide, especially vocational technical education is in flux. So in the Midwest, what we used to have was farm after farm after farm after farm. In every farm, you would have a family that have half a dozen kids, and every one of those kids would grow up by, by default, knowing how to change tires, knowing how to, to lubricate chains, knowing how to, to troubleshoot these processes on these agricultural installations. And you had, you know, another group of kids whose parents all worked in the factories, all worked as machinists, as welders or engineers. And uh, there weren't options or there weren't really a perceived viable path to, to just pick up and say, I'm going to move to Chicago or L.A. or uh, I'm going to move to, to Nevada and work at Tesla. Mm. So there, there traditionally was this this source of young, technically sophisticated students combined with a culture that really helped keep those young people in the community and contributing contributing to the community what we've seen over the last 10 20 years and i i think you know we really uh, saw this start to take off with the internet um age the the industry isn't necessarily local anymore it's global uh so we we have uh, an environment where students they might grow up in red wing minnesota but they have options not only in minneapolis st paul they can just as easily and and psychologically it's it's easy to think hey i'm going to go drive my butt to to nevada and get a job at the gigafactory mm-hmm. or i'm going to go to washington dc and i'm going to to get a job out there uh and you combine that additional competition uh with the reality that all the small farms that used to feed us these students have consolidated into large farms where instead of having four farms with you know six kids on them we've got one farm with four people on them and a bunch of automation. Mm. So, so we're seeing this culture and this paradigm of we have fewer potential students and the students that we do have, there's far more competition for them. So that's, that's the engineering problem. It's how do we train, how do we train the technologists and technicians of tomorrow with fewer prospective students or customers in a far more competitive environment and then throw on top of that an educational world where education, even vocational technical education is no longer subsidized to the degree it used to be. Right. Mm. So if you're 18 years old, you're little 18 year old Mark and you grow up in Red Wing, Minnesota. Yep. And, uh, you know, a, a gentleman from, uh, the twin cities comes down and says, Mark, uh, I'm going to make you a general laborer on my construction crew in five years. Uh, you know, I'll make you an apprentice and then a journeyman. I'm going to pay you $15 an hour. That's $30,000 a year right now, uh, at the age of 18 and the winter will put you on layoff and you'll have some other opportunities, but you're going to make $60,000 in the next two years. And you can go buy that brand new pickup truck and you're going to have a good life. Or Travis comes over and he says, Mark, I know that sounds really appealing. But I want you to pay me $6,000 a year, nine months a year for two years. That's going to cost you $10,000 in tuition. And you're not going to be able to work full time for those years. So, you know, you're you're young 18 year old Mark. That's a major opportunity cost consideration that you have to make. Right. Hmm. So that's that's our sandbox we're operating in Uh, simultaneously in academics. We don't only serve the students. We serve the local industrial community. Right. So we serve the employers. We need to make sure that Red Wing Shoe, that Central Research Laboratories, that 3M, that they have those technically sophisticated employees or otherwise our community will no longer remain economically viable. Right. Mm. How do how does Red Wing Shoe continue to employ all of its people if we can no longer put employees there to help them make their product or troubleshoot their processes mm. or, you know, guide their next design? So it's a really it, it feels like an intractable problem. So as an educator and as an entrepreneur, you have to think outside the box. And in this instance, we looked at what Red Wing has to offer, beautiful biking trails, a beautiful outdoor community, uh, a culture of, of, uh, of health and appreciating the environment. We looked at what 
what what are some of the more uh, interesting employers, not in Red Wing, but in the greater you know two state region? Yeah, and we come to find Trek. Had, they're of course out of Waterloo, Wisconsin. QBP Quality Bike Products is out of the Twin Cities. Head Cycles out of the Twin Cities. Eric's Bike Shop is out of the Twin Cities. Park Tool, the world's largest maker of bicycle tools, is out of uh, the Twin Cities. Wolf Tooth and Otso, they're out of the Twin Cities. Mm. So once we started to look, there's something like $2 billion worth of bicycle-centric industry within a really close distance to Red Wing. So when we, you know, we started thinking about this, and I started thinking about this, uh, it, it really uh, almost started presenting itself as, hey, maybe there's an opportunity to do something special here. And I, I don't know if you're in the bicycling community, but uh, I'm certain you have friends and colleagues, and I have friends and colleagues, that are in the bicycling community and you know that the the passion and the emotional attachment to to cycling and to cycling cycling accessories and that culture is something unbelievably unique right Hmm. i know people that have spent more on their bikes than they have on their cars (laughs) it's a fact it is i was it's so funny you say that because uh last night a friend of mine uh drove by um, after he put his kids to bed to pick up, um, pick up my, I have a, a hitch rack for, um, you know, that carries four bikes and he was bringing a bunch of friends up to, uh, up to the mountains to do a ride. And, um, he was telling me about the person who organized this ride that he's doing. Actually, he's going up to Connecticut to do a ride. And, um, he was telling me about the the guy who organized the ride, who happens to be basically a full time um, a full time bike riding Instagrammer, who essentially just you know he's got a few sponsors and he he does really badass rides and takes photos with the gear and uh, and that's now what he does for a living and he organizes these races. So uh, it's funny that you say that because I was just. Um, talking to a friend about this and who is a, a much bigger uh, bike head than I am. But, but um, it's really incredible. The, uh, the culture around biking. Right. So, so I guess that's, uh, that's, that, that's part of the, the, the solution, right? How do we couple something we know that sells, right? Bicycles sell. We know that the culture sells. We know that there's a community. It's unbelievably well-perceived. It, it, draws in people that are professionals to young people everyone across the socioeconomic spectrum can relate to cycling and even if you don't cycle like i i would love i have kids i don't have time to cycle at least that's my excuse (laughs) but i would love nothing more to be able to just get on a bike and go for a 20 mile bike ride any time of the week i would love to uh it makes us all feel good so uh you know we we recognized we recognized that emotional opportunity there and then uh, you look at you look at a bicycle. A bicycle is the the culmination of almost every engineering discipline wrapped into a single universal application. Right? You have mechanical engineering, right? The the gears, the chains. You have uh, statics, right? If you look at the weight distribution across uh, the frame, thermodynamics, the braking process, or if you have an e bike, the regenerative braking. Mm. Uh, electronics especially if you have an e-bike uh, if you have lights on your bike any of that uh composites metallurgy you have aluminum bike a steel bike uh carbon fiber bicycle uh, uh you, you look at these different uh attributes of a bicycle and it becomes really quickly clear that if you understand those facets and you understand how they go together and if you understand how to design components if you can 3d print a bicycle seat, mm-hmm. you can 3D print a prototype shoe at Red Wing Shoe, right? If you can weld a bike frame, you can pretty easily understand how to weld a fixture over at Valleycraft Manufacturing, right? If you can understand the electrical uh, process behind an e-bike regenerative braking, you can probably go over to Central Research Labs in Red Wing, which was founded by a bunch of MIT guys, and you can probably go over there and get yourself a really good technologist or technician position. Hmm. So Red Wing, Red Wing Shoes was was founded by a bunch of MIT guys. Uh, pardon me, uh, Central Research Laboratories. Oh, okay, uh, got it. I was like, wow. Is, uh, I thought, huh. 
Right, right. No, I, I, I guess I don't know where the the Red Wings shoe guys went to college. I, if they did go to I MIT, my yeah. Who, who knows? I think it's a pretty old company. It is a very yeah. That's absolutely right. Uh, um, so, so that a question that I have is whether the hypothesis here is that these or let me re rephrase. A question I have is whether or not these the plan for this program is that these young people now feed the bicycling industry um, or manufacturing uh, that serves the bicycling industry, or is it the idea that um, if you can build a bicycle, you can transfer that you know your your whatever it is a hundred steps away from being able to build a tractor or. Um, or service robots or, you know, whatever you're going to end up doing. Yeah. I, I don't know that those two things are mutually exclusive. Uh, if you go to Wolf Tooth and you look at their manufacturing line mm-hmm. where they're building bicycle components, they have CNC machines, uh, they have presses, they have the exact same equipment you'll find uh, down the river at Fastenal Manufacturing in Winona. Uh, if you go to uh, uh, Park Tool and you look at their prototyping shop, they have this where they're prototyping different bicycle tools. They have the same types of equipment you'll find at Gemini Manufacturing in Canada Falls where they're making signs and other types of equipment. Mm. So every one of our students wants to go on to Trek and be the next uh, great bicycle designer, test engineer, uh, you know, e- even even work in their quality control uh, laboratories and testing facilities. Yeah. Everyone wants to do that. And I hope they all have an opportunity to do that. But if this program is as successful as I hope it becomes, um, surely, uh, we'll, we'll saturate track. But if you look in our region, maybe, maybe a student doesn't go over to QBP. Maybe, maybe QBP says, you know, uh, we're good. Well, maybe that student doesn't work on ball bearings at QBP. Maybe that student works on ball bearings over at Rydell skate mm. where, yeah, it's a different application, but it's the same technology. Or maybe, maybe that student isn't going to go work on a bicycle seat at head cycle that student's going to go work on the next uh, baseball bat at Mike and sports mm. in Caledonia, Minnesota. So we want to make sure these students are, are well-rounded and skilled and that they do have that opportunity to, to go contribute to that specific industry. But my inclination is a lot of these other companies are going to make maybe offers that are a little sweeter or, or maybe, maybe, uh, uh, can hire them a little sooner and will allow us to serve the greater manufacturing community. Uh, and not just the the uh, application that they're learning these skills on community. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I went to school for engineering, and uh, every mechanical, and I'm an electrical guy, but every mechanical guy, I think, goes in and wants to build the next uh, uh, you know, Ferrari. Every mm-hmm. mechanical engineer wants to build the next Ferrari. How many engineers go and build the actual next Ferrari? Yeah. Three, right? But you'll find that these mechanical engineers do find jobs in other um, areas of the manufacturing engineering world that are equally gratifying and uh, uh, oftentimes pay better. Uh, but the great thing about bicycles is, you know, you can still go home, buy yourself a 3D printer, buy yourself a mill, and if you want, you can still build your own custom frame, your own custom cycle, your own custom gear set in your garage with the skills you're learning in this program. Mm. So just because you might not be getting paid to do it, you're getting the skills that uh, uh, allow you to 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 do it at your own leisure, even if it's not your primary occupation. Yeah. So, so let's, let's talk about the, if, if I'm coming to the program for the first time, what, what does it look and feel like, um, you know, set, set the scene a little bit for this as a learning environment. Um, if I went for a tour with you today, what would it, what would I say? So, so one of the, the, great and I think magical things about the Red Wing campus is that uh, we were able to take our cues from a couple um, established programs. We have a guitar design and build program, musical instrument repair program, violin program. So we're able to look at what these programs are doing, which has made them successful for decades, Mm. and apply that to the bike program. What does that mean? That means that we have a hands-on applied laboratory-based program. So the very first day that I, I bring you in or these students come in, I'm going to walk you through the composites and woods lab. I'm going to say, you're going to be in here and you're going to be learning how to mold materials. I'm going to walk you next door into the uh, metalworking and machining laboratory. What does that mean? 
That means we have computer numerical control, CNC machines. We have uh, uh, digital readout-based uh, mills and lathes. So you can, you can do the fine precision metal and plastic work in there. I'm then going to walk you into our next lab, which is a metal fabrication and welding laboratory. So you can work on MIG, TIG, brazing, the whole shooting works. So when you are ready to build that bike frame, you can come and do it in a state-of-the-art facility. And then I'm going to take you into our fourth laboratory, which is our rapid prototyping and 3D printing lab. So after you've, after you've uh, 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 used our CAD lab to design your frame and you've gone to our machining lab to machine the parts, you've gone to the welding lab to weld it together, taking you to the 3D printing lab, and you can 3D print your pedals, you can 3D print your hand grips, and you can 3D print your seat so you can roll right out of the campus, right into the Cannon Valley Trail and bike your butt down to uh, uh, Lanesboro, Minnesota and mm. have yourself a coffee. <laughs> That's pretty. That's pretty excellent. So that, that whole walk, that that whole walk there is going to take you about two years uh, to get from <laughs> one lab to the next lab to the next lab to the next lab. Right. But uh, uh, suffice to say, uh, you know, it's so in engineering, it's really there's this weird paradigm, the traditionalist paradigm. You can't do anything fun until you've had two years of being beat up, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it, anyone who goes to engineering school, it's like I came here to build a, you know, a Ferrari or a robot. Yeah. Well, first you're going to do differential equations and chemistry, and you're going to do all this stuff, and we're going to make you feel like you're an idiot. Yeah. And then if you're lucky, you can go into a laboratory. That's that is so ridiculous. So what we're what the philosophy is, and what we've seen work in one of our a couple of our sister programs is, let's let the students have fun. Well, they learn, mm -hmm. not force them to learn before they're allowed to have fun. Yeah. We don't need to have a, a, a an environment that that makes your, your, your head hurt before you're allowed to make your heart feel good. Yeah. So how do you how do you make that translate through the pedagogy, right? So you have these instructors who come in from uh you know, a, a really niche vocation mm -hmm. um you have welding instructors and and so on um how do you get them acquainted with the kind of pedagogy that you're talking about because you're really talking about a sophisticated i mean i guess there's two ways to look at it it's sophisticated in some sense and and part of it is about kind of taking it back to um the fundamentals, right? Which is, uh, mm -hmm. that we learn when we have fun. Um, but, but how do you find the right educator for this environment and, and what's that been like? Yeah, my gosh. Uh, that is a fantastic question. So, uh, to, to start with the pedagogy, you know, first we had to figure out what are we going to, what are you teaching a bicycle design and fabrication degree? This has yeah. never been done before. What, what does it look like? Hmm. Uh, so we took a, a associates applied science and mechanical engineering technology degree which is a, a degree that's offered at a lot of technical colleges across the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we use that as the foundation. That, that includes your 3D mechanical design, rapid prototyping, machining, oftentimes some welding, um, engineering um, uh, uh, blueprints, uh, uh, as well as college mathematics, statistics, some electrical. So we, we knew that those were, those were the areas that we needed to emphasize to our graduates so that they could get employed not only in the bike industry, but, but at you know, Red Wing Shoe and Right L Skate. So we, we took the, the, that as the scaffolding. We then brought in our bicycle, um, representatives from, from QBP, from head, from Trek. And over about eight months, we sat down and we said, okay, how do we tailor these course outlines to converge with what the bicycling industry needs so that you're getting the skills that can be employed anywhere while having a curriculum that is focused on that specific application. So we, we get all that done. Everybody's happy. And mind you, we're, we're still in the first iteration. We're still in Rev 1. Mm. It, I, I'm 100% confident that this first cohort is going to help us change for the better as we get into Rev 2 and Rev 3. Yeah. So we, we, get the, we get the curriculum and the course outlines put together in combination with the advisory committee. And then, as you say, how do we find the teacher? And that, that, is, a, that is a very good question. Uh, we are unbelievably fortunate that we had a uh, welding faculty member uh, who had helped us out uh, for a short period earlier on. A uh, wonderful guy who was a retired iron worker. I'd worked on everything from small precision metal working to building large uh, factories for 3M. Hmm. Really great man named Mike Ford. And he was one of the first guys that I brought this idea up to. And I said, you know, Mike, you know, we're having a hard time selling a traditional welding program in Red Wing, Minnesota, but 
we still need to put people out that that have uh, uh, an idea of what welding is, and we you know we need to to, to solve that. And we he he is an avid biker biker loves biking, and I said you know what do you think about this bike idea? We can teach kids how to weld on bikes, and he chewed on it a little bit, and he he never was he has never been one to uh, give me bad news to my face. So he humored me and said, ah, let's talk about it. Let's think about it. And uh, after he and I in the advisory committee really started getting uh, gung-ho, uh, we were ready to, to then look for a full-time faculty member to teach the non-welding material, the uh, 3D mechanical uh, design, uh, computer-aided machining, manual machining, uh, rapid prototyping. We solicited across the country uh, for someone that had a background primarily in mechanical design and mechanical engineering technologies but someone that hopefully had an artistic flair to them since the bicycle industry said, look, you're churning out students that don't understand aesthetics. They will be useless to us. Uh, and we received a, a, a good applicant pool. And one candidate uh, really stood out, a guy named Chase Spalding. He started his education in mechanical engineering, uh, went on to do a, a bachelor's and master's in mechanical design, mm. uh, has worked on motorcycles, different types of bike frames, did some time at IBM, uh, really, a really wonderful and motivated guy. Uh, and you know, we, we said, look, you're going to be building this aircraft mid flight. We don't know what it's going to look like two years from now. We barely know what it looks like now, but we know what the mission is. Hmm. And he and Mike sat down and they started, uh, they started teaching kids in August. So, uh, there's been a, a fair amount of luck, uh, as well as hard work to get us to where we're at right now. Tell me, tell me about the mission when you, when you, uh, would give the presentation or, or, uh, try to bring in stakeholders, what's, how do you nutshell what you're trying to achieve? How do I, how do we nutshell what we're trying to achieve? Uh, we need to create the, the technicians and the technologists of tomorrow by appealing to the students of today. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by building an applications-based program, not a skills-based program. And what better application to teach kids mechanical engineering technologies than the most universal application under the sun, the bicycle? <laughs> and usually that starts off, well, where are these people going to work? You know, how is that really a good application? Well, look around. There's $2, $2 billion in bicycle industry, and there's tens of billion dollars in other general manufacturing. Uh, and we want to talk about processes the ball bearings used in a bicycle aren't all that different than the bicycle, uh, than the ball bearings that are used in any other application. So when we start to think about it and making that pitch, there's almost like you know, the seven stages of grief. There's seven stages of acceptance. Like, wow, that's complete lunacy to, Hmm, that might just work to, wow, that's a pretty good idea to <laughs> now, you know, we've got students that are just having an unbelievable time working in a welding lab, uh, and they're likely the type of students that never, ever, ever would have worked in a welding lab. Mm. So and I, I apologize. I, I get I get very animated talk. I'm very passionate about the educational here. But one of the great things we've found is traditionally you would think, what kind of kid are you going to find in a welding lab? What kind of kid are you going to find in a machine lab? There, there was a stereotype that has transcended education. And I've worked very hard to, to change that stereotype. But there's there's a stereotype, right? Or you know, what kind of kids in a wood shop? And when you start talking skills-based education, you oftentimes, well, I don't know if I have any kids that'll like that. I don't know if I have any kids that'll want to work in that environment. Hmm. But when you change that conversation to applications-based, that, that stereotype, that paradigm gets flushed down the toilet immediately. And all of a sudden you get these students that may never have been advised or mentored to, to pursue a career in manufacturing or fabrication. And all of a sudden you're, you're not, you're no longer selling the skill, but you're trying to, whoa, 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 throttle back. We're, we'll, we'll teach you everything you need to know. But there's so much excitement building in these non-traditional students that it's it's just a real different flip in uh, what we've traditionally seen. And, mm. and I, you know, a good example is uh, oftentimes I end up talking to parents about, you know, employability and uh, the high tech nature of vocational technical positions. Uh with the bicycle program, the conversation is uh, a, quite a bit different. We had a parent that uh, started grilling one of our faculty on, well, are they going to do finite element uh, method analysis? Are they, these really technical questions? 
And it, it was it was almost the reverse conversation from what we had traditionally had, uh, where instead of selling the the profession, we're now trying to uh, to 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 sell uh, to, to sell the 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 application it's it's maybe a little different difficult to articulate but it's been a very different conversation with parents and students alike than it uh has with some of our other uh successful and you know technologically advanced programs that are skills-based so so one of the things i'm i'm uh i i want to there are two sort of categories of things i want to ask you about one is about the stakeholders that you brought to the table and i noticed on the if you if you go to the um the page that describes, you know, the program page for, um, for the, um, if you go to that, uh, program page, uh, there are some commercial partners that have signed on, um, Mm -hmm. to, you know, essentially endorse this two year program, um, in, including some of the folks that you've mentioned already, Park Tool and others. Um, tell me about that process and, and you know, what did it take for you to bring these stakeholders along? Not just, you know, because there's it's it's easy to give lip service to a new education program where people, you know, and I've had some experience here where um folks in industry will say, yes, you know, this is exactly what we need for the next generation of folks I'm going to hire. Um, but to get them to put their brand and, and name to it is a, is a different thing. Um, so tell me about that journey a little bit. Yeah. So the, the, one of the really, one of the things I like to tell parents about and, and young prospective students is that when you enter a, the world of engineering and manufacturing, which they're, they're two interlinked professions and cultures, uh, you're, you're not only gaining access to a career and a job, but a culture that really is, takes a great degree of pride in, in the deliverable, in the education, in the, the, the fact that a vocational technical education has a higher return on investment than oftentimes a baccalaureate degree does. Mm. So we're, we're starting at a point where the technical professionals at QBP, at Head, at Track, at Park Tool, we're starting at a point where all of those technical professionals already are are positively biased towards vocational technical education mm. which which i'm trying to think of an appropriate analogy you know it's like uh, selling a carpenter ant a piece of wood it's like absolutely uh so when when we reach out when i reached out to these uh different organizations and i said hey we're looking for advisory committee members uh you know you start with the crazy idea and you know nine times out of ten especially with the bicycle guys I wouldn't have to get through the first, you know, five seconds of the pitch. And they're like, I'm in this mm. sounds, this sounds great. And it, it does start from that point where we aren't just creating guys to work in the bicycle industry. We're creating the next generation of technicians and technologists across the engineering manufacturing world. And that's, that's the goal. And every one of these companies has been behind that 110%. Uh, and it's, it's been really a positive experience working with these guys. We, we have, uh, one of the representatives, uh, from Hawk racing, uh, flew in from Indiana for our lab grand opening. Mm. Wonderful guy came in, uh, and, uh, talked to parents. Uh, we had, uh, one of the engineers from, uh, 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 QBP come down during the grand opening and <laughs> he was talking to parents and, uh, one of the parents asked, well, why, why do we want, uh, uh, guest lectures from industry? And he stood up and he said, uh, Luke Strauss, wonderful guy. And he says, uh, look, this is what I do on my day-to-day job. And he talked about a day in the life of a, an engineer doing bike work. Mm. And all of a sudden you saw these parents, just their eyes widen up and the students' eyes widen up. And it's it's almost like, you know, maybe going back to the 70s and having an astronaut come in and talk to the kids about what it's like to fly <laughs> to the moon. Because think about it. Think of our core customer, our students. Do you think a single one of them believes that they can pursue a profession doing mechanical design at a that trek that's mm. that's an, that's a that's imaginary that's not possible in in so many of our customers our students minds but when you bring in that trek engineer that qbp engineer that head cycle engineer and they say look this company's real this company exists there are jobs here and these jobs have transferable skills that can positively impact your community your employers and 
you can still be part of this great community, it, it changes that conversation and it starts to bring these young people and their parents into that manufacturing and engineering culture, which we you know, is a core part of our, our mission. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. It's really exciting. And I, I wonder the extent to which, um, over time, you might attract some of those others for because um, the folks who are listed on on the page currently are are part of the advisory committee, I think. And, yep. and every one of those companies has sat in our advisory committee meetings and helped uh, guide the program to where it is today. Yeah. So I wonder to what extent over time you start to attract other folks to the advisory committee who are realizing that um, bikes as an application environment are highly relevant to whatever else they, you know, these sort of um, other industries are manufacturing for, right? Yeah, so, well, the, the chairman of the advisory committee is a retired mechanical engineer from 3M. Mm. Uh, we also have the mayor of Red Wing, Minnesota sitting on the advisory committee. Why? Because the trails that all of our students are going to use when they cycle on their way home or they cycle on their way to school um, are part of that city infrastructure. Mm. So it's it's because we're using an application-based approach for this degree, we really end up bringing in some perspectives that might not otherwise um, flavor the product, as it were, uh, with a, a skills-based approach. It's pretty great. How, have you started to have conversations with um, high schools in the area about yeah. what it means to to sort of align to this program? Yeah, absolutely. So last spring, I think I mean one of the recruiters hit up a half dozen or a dozen high schools in the area, and uh, you, you start walking the students uh, uh, through this um, degree and career possibilities. And the not only the students, but the high school uh, faculty uh, have, have given it a very, very warm response. And, you know, it's it's not and maybe maybe there's this weird thing that happens when you get into higher education. You all you immediately lose lose track of your best educational experiences of elementary school and middle school. But you go into these high schools or these middle schools and that's where they're building the volcanoes with the, the baking soda and the vinegar, right? Mm. And the kids are, wow, you know, or mm -hmm. that's where they're building the catapults and they're, they're, you know, hurling things across the room. So, but those are the same applications where these kids' eyes are wide and, and every boy and girl from any background is really enjoying it and appreciating it. Even if they're like, well, I don't, I don't want to sit down and learn how uh, to model a ballistic trajectory, or I don't want to learn, you know, chemical reactions, uh, they're really enjoying the application. So maybe what we're doing is we're, we're, we're stealing some of that philosophy from the, the secondary uh, realm and trying to reintegrate it into that post-secondary realm. So the other, the other area I wanted to explore a little bit with you is, is this, um, from, from my observation, it feels like, we have this false, and I don't know, maybe you don't think it's false, but but there's a dichotomy in the dialogue about um, education as it relates to these things that, that sort of falls along the line of um, what was vocational ed, which was decidedly sort of in people's minds low-tech and uh, contemporary career and technical education, which... I think the the leaning on the part of administrators and folks who are designing programs is high tech and that it's high tech that will drive um, career development and, and, you know, being able to parlay a higher education degree into um, work that matters. Yeah. I wonder, right. I wonder how you feel about this, that contrast between high and low tech and, you know, are you know what's your perception? Are we missing the mark on that? And and um, how how are you dealing with that through the program? Yeah. So so the dirty little secret is is that vocational technical education has always been the most high tech education. Uh, it's always been the the place where uh, you got to learn how to do uh, uh, CNC machines first, hmm. right? Uh, where are you going to train your CNC machinists at a technical college, right? Where's the most uh, advanced welder 
uh, going to get deployed at the technical college because kids are going to need to learn it. When computers first came out, who got to play with them? The kids at the colleges who are going to type on them and be the computer operators. Mm. Uh, it's it's this really. Uh, uh, I was at a, a academic administrator conference a year ago, and amongst some of my uh, peers that are in four year and uh, research based education, and and we all have our roles to play. And you know, our customers, our students, their their needs change throughout their life. So all of our institutions have have value and mission. But I would often hear these professional um, administrators that had pursued their careers in academia say, you know, we need to do something about the uh, about the stigma about vocational technical education. And I think that kind of plays into your question. And I, I stood up and I said, look, the only place where we're talking about a stigma with vocational technical education is in this room with professional academics. <laughs> when, when you go into my welding lab, when you go into my CNC shop, when you go into my rapid prototyping lab, do you think any of those kids feels like there's a stigma with vocational technical education? No, nah, not a single one. Uh, and they're there because, it, and that comes back to what I said earlier about this pride, uh, this, this pride in community, this pride in deliverable, this pride in technology. So you, you're right. And, uh, you know, there were parents that came through when we started the bicycle program that I think were a little scared that, you know, my kid's going to, to go into this vocational technical associate's degree program that, and, you know, the danger, danger, the red light's blinking mm-hmm. in that parent's head. But then you're bringing in a professional from QBP and they say, look, if this kid knows how to do 3D mechanical design, um, computer numerical control machining and under, understands uh, how to how to uh, rapid prototype plastics and, and fab metal, that student is going to get a job making more money than the vast majority of BS degrees is going to pay less and is going to have a really wonderful time getting that education. Uh, I had a student call from uh, a four-year university not far from us, and he said, I read about this degree. I want to enroll. And I said, well, tell me about yourself. He goes, I'm in my third year of my BS in philosophy at you know so-and-so university. I said, well, don't you want to finish your BS degree? He goes, no, I hate it. I don't know why I'm here. I'm, uh, the only reason I, I, I enrolled here is because my parents wanted me to go here. Mm. And I said, well we can transfer in your gen eds and then the rest of your time we'll put you in the lab with our, our faculty and you can learn how to make stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I wish I, I wish, I wish we would all wake up one morning and we'd all have this appreciation for, you know, some folks, you know, they want to, they want to go and build robots or bikes or shoes or baseball helmets. And we would accept that and we'd love it. And we'd be proud. And then we'd say, well, you know, some folks that's not going to work and we can be proud of those folks. But I, I think in higher ed, we've we've for whatever reason in the last couple decades, we've we've started to to try to rank and rate and uh, 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 stratify. Maybe that's the right word. Different tiers of education as you know, good, better and best versus mm. best fit for the student. Mm. Right. Maybe, maybe let's look at automobiles. Right. Some people are going to drive an electric car. Some people are going to drive an F-350 and some folks are going to ride a bike. It's just to keep the bike theme. Does that mean one's better than the other? Well, no. That means that these different these different tools of transportation have their purposes, their pluses, their minuses. And you know what? You can have a bike and get an F three fifty. There's no prohibition there, uh, and that's just like education. Uh, so, I, I really wish that were the conversation we were having, both in our communities and throughout academia, instead of you know stigma, 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 high tech, low tech. Maybe we talk about how do we best serve the student and how do we best serve the industry. Hmm. I had a conversation recently, and and to be honest, I'm not sure as I'm talking to you, I'm not sure in what order I should release these episodes because it's still I'm editing a previous conversation with um, a gentleman who has a lot of hypotheses about um, the future of higher education and, and, um, and we were talking a little bit about the, the idea that potentially higher ed needs to, uh, almost become, these are my words, not his, but, but almost become, um, a, a sort of placement partner for industry, right. And, and be more, um, more oriented to what industry needs. Um, do, do you, 
in your experience as a as a dean at a at a local um, state college, it, how do you feel about that? I mean, do you feel like um, do you feel like higher ed needs to do a better job of shaking hands with industry, or or do you feel like um, there's a line? over which if we cross it's no longer about education but job training you know how, so where, I, where do you fall on that that's a really good question and I, I part of i think the answer to that question is what is the mission of your institution right if if, if you're a, a, a liberal arts college and your primary mission is on philosophy and and some of the more esoteric components of education maybe maybe their best goal is is not to do the industry and train their people for you know imminent employment and maybe their 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 strategy is different right their strategy is tailored to the product that they're offering mm. if, if you're a vocational technical college like the the one uh that, that we have here uh our mission absolutely is is to to work with industry to ensure that our students have a a, a mode of uh, 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 employment after they graduate, but not only that, right? It, I, I think it's it's a, a a shame that that's how we we often frame it. I think the real framing is how do we form partnerships to ensure our local economies remain economically viable, and the way we do that is through ensuring these partnerships with secondary, post secondary, um, industry as well as uh, four year universities. We uh, in Winona, we've worked very, very, very closely with Fastenal. Fastenal uh, has a quarter billion dollar a year unit that does nothing but advanced metallurgy and uh, precision manufacturing and engineering. They've got guys in white suits running around shooting metal with laser beams to figure out what the molecular <laughs> structure is. I kid you not. Mm. And and you tell kids this, and they're like, "Well, no, that's not real." I'm like, no kidding. It's like the guys you see on uh, PBS with the white lab coats. It's crazy. Mm. Or Benchmark Electronics, like a three billion dollar a year corporation that helps build supercomputers. Uh, so absolutely, we, we should be working hand in hand with those professionals, uh, not only in the managerial set, but also in the uh, engineering and technician set so that our students have that visibility into this high tech manufacturing that takes place. So that these students have an idea of what it's like to work in these industries mm-hmm. and to make sure that these industries feel like they have ownership of the product we're building. Now, d- does that mean that uh, if we partner with uh, uh, peerless chain that every student learns how to build a chain and that's the only thing we do absolutely not the the as i've said the the culture in engineering and manufacturing is one of i don't want to say share and share alike but it's it's one of it's really one of you know pride and maybe maybe you're learning on a bike maybe you're learning on a chain maybe you're learning on a gear but it's let me show you and teach you how to 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 be a master of this trade mm. uh in regardless of the application, there's a pride in workmanship that transcends the managerial, the employee and the student that all of these industries are willing to share with secondary and post-secondary students. And that by not sharing that experience, that knowledge and that passion, we are at risk of losing uh, these unbelievably important professions that have sustained our communities for decades, if not a century or more. Mm-hmm. Does that answer that question? It does. Um, We're all part of the ecosystem. It's not. It's not really a question about partnership, maybe, but we are all part of that fabric of the community. And by building these silos around, you know, uh, 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 these different institutions, we're just creating these artificial constructs that are inhibiting our ability to cooperate and grow our communities and and you know make make our communities great. Leverage what makes us strong. Yeah. Do you think that in uh, one one of the things that always is remarkable to me is um, I had a conversation recently where we were talking about um, FFA. Do you know Do you know the Future Farmers of America? Yeah, student yeah, organization. So what what has been historically Future Farmers of America is I, I believe the biggest biggest student organization for um, you know, for teens, 
high school age students in the country. It's uh, a really enormous student body, and and it makes me wonder a little bit as you're talking whether there's a a future at you know that that we could start to dream up that has uh, because if you have all of these kids who are coming, you know the the FFA set, which is really coast to coast, so many kids growing up in um, in agricultural settings that are are like you said, being sort of moved from uh, four farm, uh, four farm families to down to one with with uh, automation and and I wonder if um, there isn't a future for uh, I, I don't know what it's called but the future um, future manufacturing technologists of America I don't know what it looks like but uh, you know if if you had to paint your ideal a little bit um, what does it look like for you how does how do things transform for uh, younger students sort of tracking into jobs that contribute to these communities in the way that you're describing? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I, I almost feel like there's a little back to the future. When I, when I talk to some of the folks that got into vocational technical education back in the seventies, they would, they'll tell me that, uh, well, in the seventies in Minnesota, that every state's different right? in Minnesota, um, the vocational technical schools were part of the high school and that if you're a high school student, you could, you know, instead of going to XYZ high school class, you could go to a vocational class and gain a skill or a credential. And the costs were $0. Mm. And instead of, uh, you know, it's completely subsidized as part of the school district. And instead of, uh, maybe being forced to take classes that were disinterested, just not interesting to you. You, you could take your time and your skills and work in that auto shop or work in that welding lab and, and, and really put your, put your mind to use doing something that's constructive and something that you appreciate. I, I would love to, to see a world where we start to reassess our valuation of technical education, uh, where we realize that you don't have to be an 18-year-old high school graduate to go and learn how to, to run Fusion 360 or AutoCAD or t- to be able to go and start becoming a, a great welder. Uh, I, I want to see a world where, you know, maybe maybe little Timmy or Jenny or Sally says, oh, you know, I, I just, this, this isn't my, my brain is, I, I'm a, my brain is not tuned to the, the curriculum you have me in and it's, it's doing me more disservice than service. What are my other options? Hmm. Well, do you like building things? Do you, are you a left brain person? And I would love to be in that world where it's, it wasn't a, you must do this before you do this, Hmm. but rather you can do this, that, or the other thing. And any of these things, as long as you're being a productive taxpaying member of society, or you're on the track to do that, we will take pride in you. We'll take pride in the program and we'll, we'll take pride in whatever profession you choose to pursue. Yeah. uh, Wisconsin does a really good job with their vocational technical system. Uh, they they don't have uh, at least the they don't have the same degree of integration at the secondary level that that we're working on here, at least to the best of my knowledge. But they have their technical colleges are separate from their university system. There um, there's a system in Wisconsin, but it's a a really confederated system where local uh, tax bases directly support the technical education, and all the technical colleges are very very heavily integrated with the local industry and it's a a a very different paradigm there than in in minnesota where there was a merger between vocational technical community and university systems Hmm. and there's more of a a top-down management and it's different than what i experienced when i taught out in maryland where every uh two-year college was kind of an island unto itself and for for your audience out there i don't want to uh imply that my experience is vast and wide but that's just my uh, uh, two cents from what I've experienced amongst those three different states. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a, I, I would love to kind of land there. Let's, let's just talk a little bit about, um, about your background. What got you into engineering? What was the application that, that got you excited? Yeah. So that's a really good question. And when I, I was in engineering school at Milwaukee school of engineering and, uh, one of the faculty said that engineering is the poor man's profession. Uh, if you're if you're a lawyer, your kid's going to be a lawyer. If you're a doctor, your kid's going to be a doctor. 
if you're a farmer, a mechanic, or a machinist, your kid's going to be an engineer. <laughs> and that was his argument. And it's not true for everybody, but it, it resonated. My dad was a mechanic and a carpenter. Uh, and I uh, uh, actually started, I, I have a two-year associate's degree from Fox Valley Technical College in Appleton, Wisconsin. Extremely proud of it. I transferred to the Milwaukee School of Engineering, finished a bachelor's degree, finished a master's at UW-Madison, and eventually got my doctorate. Uh, but the great thing about engineering is it's one of those professions where it's, it's a staggered profession, right? You don't need to jump right into a research-level engineering program. Mm. You can go to Fox Valley Technical College, learn how to build uh, robots, and uh, learn how to do uh, uh, manufacturing and engineering processes. You can then transfer to the Milwaukee School of Engineering, get a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering, uh, which is MSOE. Very proud of those guys. They have one of the most robust, robust transfer programs in the United States. I think, then uh, Professor uh, Bob Strangeway over there will call me if I'm wrong, but I think 20%, 20%, I think, of their BS in electrical engineering students are transfer students from two-year technical colleges. I think they have higher GPAs and I think they have higher graduation completion rates than their traditional students. Mm. So what, what gets me excited about engineering and vocational education? It's, it's exactly that, that it's a stepping stone that you can start, you, you can start learning how to weld and you can take that to become a welding inspector, a welding engineer, a metallurgist or anything you want. And it's all predicated upon how much time you want to pursue either an industry or an education or both. You can build things, you can make things and, I really honestly believe anybody, anybody has it in them to be a maker. So that's, uh, uh, I, I guess where my, 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 my heart is, so to speak, and why my heart is where it is. It's terrific. So Travis, you, I, I know we can't talk much about it, but, but, um, you, re, in case people go looking for you, you were, you were, you've, uh, moved With on from your, your role right. as, as Dean of Trade and Technology at, uh, Minnesota State. And, and you're in a, you're a, sort of just entered into another, uh, stint with the U.S. military. I know, I know you can't talk too much about it, but, uh, I would assume, um, that the transition is, uh, in, in, service of our country using some of these skills that you've built over the course of, uh, of this trajectory you just described for yourself. Is, is there anything you can tell us about it? Uh, I, I can definitely tell you that, uh, I, I tell the guys, uh, in the services, uh, I, I've, I've had a great, uh, uh, I, I, I absolutely sincerely love military and federal service and I uh, take great pride in serving our nation. Uh, but you know, I, one of my great examples, I deployed to an island uh, to help uh, rebuild facilities after the worst hurricane in history on 24 hours notice and had to sleep in a tent. And it was less hard than being a dean at a technical college. <laughs> uh, 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 so uh, in my stead, uh, there's a, a professional named Don Luban. She is the, uh, the interim dean at Minnesota State College Southeast. She's absolutely fantastic. She is, uh, I believe, an FFA alumni i think she ran uh, ffa groups as you mentioned uh she is a prior uh secondary a vocational technical um uh teacher hmm. and i would encourage any of your audience if they're looking for more intra uh, more information to reach out to to don uh or to our faculty mr chase balding or mike ford uh they're doing a great job uh um, now that i'm uh, uh serving uh, the u.s military and uh i I'm so proud of, of what we've done. And I, I look forward to, 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 to continuing to see this change in vocational technical education. Yeah. I, I, um, Travis, I love, I love what you built. Um, and, uh, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate personally the work you're doing for, uh, in service of our country. And, and, um, my, my greatest hope, I think at the end of this conversation is that you, uh, get back, um, from whatever role you're headed into and, uh, safely and you come back to education cause we need you. And, uh, and some of these ideas, because, um, there's a lot of innovation happening in this, um, in this corner of Minnesota, Red Wing, Minnesota. And, and, uh, I'm excited to see what's next. Well, I, I sincerely appreciate the kind words and, uh, it's a it's a team effort. Uh, these these programs don't build themselves, and we couldn't have done what we've done, both in Red Wing and our Winona campus, without 
um, support from our manufacturers, our industry, our philanthropists, uh, as well as folks like yourself who help us get the message out that vocational technical education is where it's at. It's uh, uh, if you want to make things, you want to have a good time, you want a good job. Uh, there's no better place to go, uh, in my humble opinion. Amen. Amen. Travis, though, I really appreciate the time you spent, uh, on this and, and, um, I wish you well, and I'm going to have show no- in in the show notes for this episode. I'm going to drop uh, lots of information for the program and for anyone who wants to reach out to the good folks um, who are now at the helm. Um, it sounds like they will be if if they're anything like you, they will be uh, quick to respond and and uh, and help people learn more. Absolutely, and I'm and I'm not dead. Uh, and, uh, I, I can assure you that I will do everything I can, uh, from my current post to ensure that the folks in, uh, at the college are, are getting everything they need to, to serve the students in the community. Anything, anything you want to, uh, plug while you're on, you have a social media presence or, uh, you want to point people to the program, anything before we, I, I would say this, uh, the bicycle design and fabrication program, uh, BDF is without a doubt, uh, a BFD. <laughs> Outstanding. Travis, thank you so much. All right. Take care. It's been a pleasure. For more info about advertising with us, sponsoring the show, or if you have story ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, alumni of two bomber nations, Ithaca and the Bronx, New York, and engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No such thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org.